Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus is alive. He is alive. If you would stand with me, please, um, so that we can read God's word together. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14. Again, that's Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And God's holy inspired word reads, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Please be seated, and let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning with hearts full of joy, being reminded that Jesus Christ has risen. He is alive. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We praise you this morning. There is victory in Jesus, and we praise you that we are his children. We thank you, God, that we can look forward to a resurrection of the just. There's coming a day when our bodies will be resurrected from the grave. When we die, Lord, we don't really die, but we go to sleep. Because for those who have trusted in Christ, we have eternal life. Only those who are not in Jesus will die a natural death and an eternal death. So we pray, Father, that you would open up the ears of those who don't know you so that they would be given eternal life as well. We want to see them at your table. We want to be at that great banquet with them eating and worshiping our Savior. We want them to be with us, God. There's many who don't know you, Father. There's many who are lost right now in their sin. There's people here today who are lost in their sin. And we ask, God, that you would open their eyes by your grace to see Christ as all-glorious, all-powerful, that you would give them grace to surrender their hearts to you totally, that they would repent of their sins and trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And for us who are your children, Father, we just ask that you would stir our hearts to love you more, to rejoice in the power of the resurrection, to rejoice in the fact that you're alive, to rejoice in the fact that you have conquered everything and nothing can hold you down. 
Nothing was able to hold you in that grave, Jesus. You rose. So we celebrate you this morning. We celebrate you because you're a good God. You're a merciful God. You're a just God. You're a conquering God. You're a victorious God. You're a holy God. You're a righteous God. You're a forgiving God. Oh, thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, compassionate, and you abound in steadfast love. So, Father, we come today asking that you would speak. Speak from your word. Oh, God, stir our hearts to not only love you more, but to love people more. And help us to look to our eternal reward. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So, God, have your way in our lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For many Christians, Easter is one of our favorite holidays because of the significance it holds for us as believers. It's a day that we celebrate the fact that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has risen. And because he has risen... He has triumphed over death, and he has saved us from our sins. On Easter Day, we love to make phone calls and send out texts proclaiming that he has risen. And usually people will respond back by saying to us, he has risen indeed. The doctrine of the resurrection is a doctrine that has been proclaimed all throughout history. And the resurrection of Christ is an essential element of the gospel. But when we think about the, resu- the resurrection of Christ, oftentimes many of us forget that there will be a resurrection of believers. And even if we don't forget about it, a lot of times we don't give much thought to it. In verse 14 of this passage, we see that there will be a resurrection of the just. That the bodies of born-again believers will one day rise from their graves and be with God for all eternity. The resurrection of the just is the day of our great reward. It's a day that we will be rewarded for serving the least of these, be rewarded for our work, be rewarded for serving and laying down our lives for those who have been left out, for the marginalized. And it's a day when we will be rewarded when we rise with Jesus. And this parable, the parable of the great banquet, we see what God's kingdom is like. And we also see what God's people ought to be like. We see that our humility is revealed by who we associate with. And we see that those who have been justified by God will live just lives. That we will have lives marked by love 
marked by compassion, and marked by mercy, we will reflect the characteristics of our Savior. The point of this parable or story is that we should serve the overlooked, the outcast, the least of these, knowing that we will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. So the resurrection of the just is not just about getting up from the grave, but it's also about gaining a reward for living lives that reflect the characteristics of Jesus. This text in Luke also fits broadly with the justice theme we have been thinking through as a church. But before we dive further into these verses, I want to give a little context of what is taking place in this chapter. So if you can look with me at Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And it reads, On the Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully. So you have these people who are watching Jesus carefully as he goes and dines with these individuals, with these Pharisees. And they're watching him because they're trying to set him up. They're trying to set up Jesus. Verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is this sickness, this illness where uh, fluid develops in the body. It develops in organs and it develops throughout the body. And that fluid sometimes would be manifested or oftentimes would be manifested on the outside. So here's this man um, before him who has dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They didn't say anything. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. So he heals the man with dropsy and then he sends him away. So you could only imagine the Pharisees are like, what is this dude doing? He shouldn't be doing things like that on the Sabbath. Verse 5 says, and he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And it goes on to say in verse 6, and they could not reply to these things. So their mouths were shut. He's like, man, if you have a son or an ox that falls into a well, you're just going to leave your son there? And they didn't respond because if they would have responded by saying, yeah, of course we would pull our son out of the well, um, they would go against what they have been holding to, which is holding strictly to the Sabbath that you can't do anything on that day. They saw Jesus even healing as work. So here it is, they remained silent and they didn't say anything. But by them um, not agreeing to pull their son out or pull their ox out, Um, they would be basically saying that we lack compassion if they didn't pull their son out or if they didn't pull out their ox, which is valuable. Um, So they choose not to say anything. But Jesus goes on, and he goes on to say in verse 7, Now, 
um, or the parable goes on to say, now he told a parable to those who were invited. So now he's speaking to the guests. And it says, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. Before we read verse 11, you have to understand what's going on here. You have these, these guests who are scrambling for the best seats. They're just concerned with getting the best seats. So Jesus is observing all of this, and he addresses the guests. And he's like, man, don't try to grab these places of honor, because the host, he'll come and he'll remove you and actually put you in a lower place and you'll actually be humiliated in front of all. It would be better for you to take the lower position and then have the host move you um, to a higher position. Then you'll be honored in front of all. And he's trying to teach a principle here. So in verse 11, he goes on by saying this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you remember, there's other places in Luke, like for instance with the tax collector and, and the Pharisee, where the Pharisee, who is self-righteous, is constantly talking about how he gave of his tithes, and he's thanking God that he's not like other people, that he's not like sinners. He's just a prideful, arrogant, self-righteous man. But then you see the tax collector who sees his sin, who sees his need for a savior. He sees that he needs God. And the Bible says that he beats on his chest and he wouldn't even rise his head. He sees that he's a sinner and he sees his need for grace. And the Bible says that he went away justified. But it goes on to say very similar words, the same words that we see in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see that humility doesn't just lead to um, us caring for people and loving, for, uh, loving people, as we'll see in the rest of the text, but humility also leads to repentance. We must humble ourselves even to repent and put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We must recognize our sin against a holy and righteous God. We must recognize that this God is infinitely valuable and that we have sinned against an infinitely valuable God. And as a result, we then humble ourselves. And by humbling ourselves, we're then exalted. So now, when we look at our verses, verse 12 through 14, we're going to see a couple of things. In verse 12, we're going to see how Jesus tells the host 
um, who not to invite. In verse 13, we're going to see Jesus tell the hosts who he should invite. And in verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. So we see in verse 12, who not to invite. Verse 13, Jesus tells the host who he should invite. And in verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. So verse 12, he says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, talking about the hosts, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Least also they invite you and in return and you be repaid. Um, so I just want to start by saying what, what I believe Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. I don't think he's, he's saying, don't invite your relatives at all. I don't think he's saying, don't invite any of your friends, um, because it's part of fellowship, right? We gather for fellowship, we invite friends, we invite family, and we invite people. Um, so that's part of fellowship. So I don't think he's saying, don't do that at all. But I do think that he's making it very clear that we ought to be individuals that invite strangers. So when we invite brothers and sisters over, that's fellowship. Um, but hospitality, when you, when you think of hospitality, um, and if you look at just the word hospitality, how it was used biblically, a lot of times it was inviting the stranger. So I think it's huge that he's pointing out here when he, um, this, when he says, you know, when you have a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, least they also invite you in return. So Jesus is saying, invite people that can't pay you back. And in context here, you had these, these Pharisees who were inviting people because they wanted to really be esteemed by men. So they were inviting these people who seemed to have power, and they were putting on this religious front in order to invite individuals um, or, or, or in order to look good in front of individuals that they invited. Even the, the man with dropsy that they invited, it wasn't because they really wanted him to be there, but it was because they wanted to use him as bait to get Jesus, to set Jesus up. Their motives were even wrong in inviting this man who had dropsy. It wasn't really for the reason of reaching out to the marginalized or reaching out to people who really were in need, but it was because they wanted to set Jesus up. So Jesus is saying, he's like, no, no, no. Invite people that can do nothing for you. Invite individuals that can't make you look great in man's eyes. But in God's eyes, he sees that as great. He sees that as wonderful. So Jesus is saying that we need to have a focus on not just inviting friends and family and relatives and people we know, but we need to invite the outcasts. We need to invite the marginalized. We need to invite the individuals that society looks down upon. He says, have those individuals come into your home. Have those individuals sit and eat with you. And we know that because he says in verse 13, this, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, 
the lame, and the blind. So he's like, when you give a feast, I want you to invite the, the poor. I want you to invite the crippled. I want you to invite the lame. I want you to invite those who are blind. Now, these people were individuals that were not only looked down upon in society, but these were also individuals that people considered to be cursed because they were poor, because they were crippled, because they were lame, because they were blind. So you had so many who looked upon them and thought, you know, these people are not significant. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because we see in other verses... Like, for instance, in John, when Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus goes on to answer by saying, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he goes on to talk about how these individuals, like this man who was blind, he said, no, this man, in, in my sovereign plan, he's blind so that when I heal him, the glory of God spreads all throughout that town, showing that I'm a God who's able to heal in his sovereign plan. He's like, no, this man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. But this was all set up so that my, my glory could be put on display when I heal him. So when you look at texts like that, you see that Jesus had such a love for the blind, such a love for the poor. Look at the individuals he constantly interacted with, so much so that he was accused of being a sinner because he hung with sinners, accused of being a drunkard, accused of being um, um, not just a a drunkard, but a glutton because of the individuals that he associated with. I'm not sure if Luke had this in mind, but in Isaiah 58, it reads this, verses 6 through 11. Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of the wickedness, of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide your face from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your, your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness of wickedness. If, you're, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like the water gardened. 
that's powerful because here it is in Isaiah, you had these individuals who were doing all of these religious things, but they were neglecting the poor. They were neglecting giving to the needy. And they did things that appeared to be righteous in order to be seen by men as we see in other passages. But they didn't do things really motivated by the compassion of Christ. So here it is in this text. Jesus is saying, listen, who society looks upon and sees as worthless, I see as valuable. I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to your table. That's who I want to come. And here it is. We might think that we don't quite identify with those individuals. Maybe some of us may think that way. But the honest truth is, we identify with them. We are not superior to the poor, the blind in any way, or the crippled in any way. We are not superior. If anything, we identify with the marginalized because we were once poor. So poor that we had nothing to offer. The only thing that we could bring to God was our sin, our filth, our corruption. We were broken, totally poor, broke as a joke. But he who is rich became poor so that we could become rich. Because of his grace, we are infinitely rich. Because, his, because of his grace, we will have an eternity with him. I mean, when we think of Jesus becoming poor, this is, a, 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 um, this is God who left his throne, humbled himself, as we see in Philippians 2, even to the point of becoming a servant, even to the point of, of wrapping himself in flesh, God wrapping himself in flesh to walk among us. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in poverty. As, as uh, Timothy Brindle says, um, the, the scene wasn't fancy or raunchy, how the Son of God was born next to camels and donkeys. He was born around feces and born um, in a place that was poverty-stricken. He understands what it means to identify with the poor. He understands what it means to identify with the marginalized. And he wasn't born to a queen and a king, but he was born to ordinary people who a people would look upon and say, there's not much to them. The Bible says that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses in every single way. So he's a God who loves the poor. And we can identify with them because we were poor, but now by his grace we are rich. And we were also crippled, crippled by our sin, not able to do anything to come to the table of God. But in God's kindness, he picked us up and brought us to the table. It was all a work of his grace. He picked us up and brought us to the table. I love, I love that song that says, uh, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, completely 
satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Hallelujah. I just want to say to you today that if you don't know Jesus Christ, and if you feel poor in spirit, if you feel crippled by your sin, if you feel blind and not able to see, I want to let you know that Jesus invites you to a feast. And the feast is him, and it's glorious, but you must come. He sends out an invitation, but you must respond. You must respond to this invitation to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. He welcomes those who are poor. He welcomes those who are crippled. He welcomes those who are blind. And he opens our eyes and gives us new life and helps us to see the risen Savior. Come to him, repent of your sin, trust in Christ, and you will be welcomed to his table, his great banquet for all eternity, feasting with Jesus. So I could just imagine Jesus looking upon all of these religious people, and I could only imagine, imagine him saying, where is the poor at the table? In our day, where's the refugee? Where's the single mother at your table? Where's the fatherless kid at your table? Where's the prostitute at your table? Where's the ex-convict at your table? Where's the ex-drug addict or drug addict at your table? Jesus has a love for sinners. And the reason why he's asking us to invite the marginalized to the table is because he has always done that himself. Remember what he said? Is it those who are sick um, or those who are well that need a doctor? He says, no, it's not those who are well that need a doctor, but it's those who are sick. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. I came for sinners. He has always came to love on and show compassion to the individuals that society writes off. He has always came to love on the outcasts, the overlooked, the left out. When people walked by them, Jesus walked to them. When people overlooked them, Jesus looked right at them. And not only that, Jesus died for mankind. As it says in Philippians 2, he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see that Jesus has a love for the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the marginalized. And we can identify with them because we were blind. We couldn't see. The Bible says that the, the devil, the enemy, has blinded the, the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. But by God's grace, he ripped off that blinder off of our eyes. And now we're able to see him as all, all glorious, as all powerful, as Savior. This is miraculous.
This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of His grace. This is why we can come and sing songs about the resurrected Lord and do it with joy because we know what He has done for us. In verse 14, Jesus reveals the principle. He reveals the principle. And He says this, And you will be blessed if you invite these individuals the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, he says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you back. They cannot repay you. And then he goes on to say this, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's like you're going to be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Just love people. Again, If we have been justified by God, we will live just lives. And the same grace that we have received, we will extend that grace to others. The same mercy that we have received, we will extend that mercy towards others. The same love that we have received, we will extend that love towards others. And Jesus says when we do so, we're going to be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That... While so many people are looking to get a reward in this life, Jesus is saying, no, look to the reward that I will give you. And if God has given me a reward, I don't care what reward man could give you. It does not compare compare to the reward that Christ will give you himself. There will be a resurrection of the just But Acts 24, 15 says that there will also be a resurrection of the unjust. For the just believer, it will be glorious. It will be a joyous reunion with our Savior. (laughs) Like a husband and wife reuniting after being away from each other for a long time. Their sins, our sins, have been forgiven, and they have been covered by the righteousness of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm so looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. I hope you are too. We will be resurrected from the dead. The just will be. But the unjust... The unbeliever, for them it will be a terrifying day. For it is fear, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There's nothing but wrath stored up for you if you do not repent of your sin and put your trust fully in Jesus Christ who can make you righteous. On that day, neither your silver nor your gold will be able to to deliver you from the wrath of God. You won't be able to buy your way out. You will be consumed by fire if you do not find refuge in Jesus. But if you will humble yourself, if you will show this humility that the Bible talks about, where it says in in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and 
who, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you will humble yourself and you will repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You may say, Lord, increase my faith. He says, all you need is faith like the grain of a mustard seed. Receive the kingdom of God like a child. As we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we celebrate the fact that God accepted Jesus as our once-for-all atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Also, that he has defeated sin, death, and Satan. Oh, death, where's your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a couple of things to think about. Do we have the humble hospitable attitude that we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. I know for myself, I'm realizing I need to grow more and caring about what God cares about and loving who God loves. So I'm asking God to recalibrate me more and more by his grace. Listen to this. Jesus was so associated with tax collectors, sinners, and drunkards that he was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They accused him because he was around them so much, loving on them, showing compassion to them. He did this in order that he might win some. He did it to share the gospel with people. Who do we associate ourselves with the most? Who do we associate ourselves with the most in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? May we have more of the poor, more of the lame, more of the blind, more of the prostitutes, more of the drug addicts, more unbelievers who can't repay us back in our homes at our tables, in our lives, holding out to them the riches of the grace that God provides in his son, Jesus Christ. Are we looking to the reward at the resurrection of the just or looking to a temporary reward here on earth? Jesus didn't say you are blessed when others can repay you, but rather he said you are blessed when they can't repay you because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I just want to end by reading 
one last passage. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. And it reads this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Stop. He's like, man, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then, then why are we even sharing the gospel? Why am I up here preaching if he hasn't been raised from the dead? It would be in vain. And not only that, your faith would be in vain. But he goes on to say, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Everything that he went through, he went through because he believed wholeheartedly that Christ had been raised. The apostles who were martyred for Jesus, they were martyred because they had a conviction that Christ had been raised and they were willing to die for this truth because they knew that he was raised. You had people who had their heads decapitated off their body. Some who were speared to death. Others who were killed and martyred for Jesus. And they were willing to give their lives because they knew he had rose from the dead. And he's saying, man, if we have hope in this life only, then we should be pitied. Everything that we go through for the name of Jesus, you should have pity on us. But he's saying, no, I'm not looking at this life. I have hope beyond this life. I have hope in Jesus. I have hope in the resurrection that he rose. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is making intercession right now for you and me. We have loved ones who have passed away, and we know how that hurts us when, when we go and look at their their bodies in a casket. And if they're believers, we're not necessarily hurt, and we shouldn't be hurt, that they go to glory to be with Jesus. 
but we're hurt because we can't speak with them anymore. We can't talk with them anymore. We can't hold them anymore. We can't interact with them anymore. And that's what hurts us. But there's coming a day when your loved ones, brothers, friends, sisters, relatives, will be raised from the dead. And we're going to see them, interact with them. And not only will they be raised from the dead, but they're not going to be raised from the dead having sickness and pain. We're not going to be raised from the dead having all of these different afflictions that we suffer with now. All of that will be gone. All of that will cease. And we will be with Jesus for eternity. Because Jesus rose from the dead... As believers, we will rise too, and we will be with him. To God be the glory. So when we say he has risen, he has made it possible for his children to rise and be with him. Our soul won't just be with God. Our bodies are going to be with him. I mean, we're going to, sometimes when people think of heaven, they have all of these different things going on in their minds. But here's talking about this feast where we're going to be at this banquet with our Savior and our taste buds. <laughs> when we eat that food, it's going to be the best food we ever ate in our lives, the best fellowship we ever had. No sin will hinder our affection towards one another. We will worship our Savior perfectly. This is what we're looking forward to, and this is the reward of the just. Please bow your head with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have demonstrated your love towards sinners like us. You demonstrated your mercy towards sinners like us who were crippled in our sin, who were blind to the truth. Who were poor, we couldn't bring you anything but our corruption. But you sent your son, who is rich, who became poor so that we could become rich. Because of your grace, Father, we are wealthy in Jesus. Because of your grace, Father, you have made us alive in Christ. Because of your grace, Father, as Jesus Christ has risen, it is promised that we will rise as well from the grave. There will be a resurrection of the just. Because the just one who is just through and through rose. We praise you this morning for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We praise you. That Christ has defeated sin, death, the grave, defeated sin, Satan. And we praise you, Father, that we could look forward to an eternal reward. May the reward, may Jesus motivate us to live our lives here and now in such a way that reflects the beauty and characteristics of Jesus. May you help us, God, to love the marginalized, love the outcasts, love sinners, and extend to them the grace that we have received. God, help us to love those who are self-righteous, 
those who may not see their need for grace because you saved many of those as well. Many people who have been self-righteous and haven't seen their need for grace, you have opened their eyes to see a Savior too. We ask, God, that you would do that more and more. Do that in our city. Do that in Anacostia. Do that around the world. Do this for your glory. Do this for your namesake. And Father, as we get ready to sing, help us to sing in such a way as, as knowing, Father, as people knowing that you are alive. We don't worship a dead God. You are not in a grave like Muhammad. You are not in a grave like all of these other false gods or false representatives of who you are. Jesus, you rose. You're different. Not only did you rise, but you are God. So God, help us to have a, a vivid view of your beauty, of your majesty, of who you are. And we thank you, God, for saving us from, from our sin. We pray this in the name of your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Amen.